Welcome to Taiwan War 18 on the big calamity, and this is us tackling a movie that kind of simply floors its audience, its audience, or rather floors the select few who have seen this movie, and it is dead on important to cover it because of that, and also because it's a kaiju movie from Taiwan. And Todd's review, you all know Todd, he's on the show. Uh, his review, hello. I have to die. Hello, hello, there he is, and I'm going to quote the man <laughs> himself now. His uh, quote from Die, Danger, Die, Die, Kill, said off the film, and maybe it was more in anticipation of watching it, but regardless, this is what Todd said about The Big Calamity. Quote, Try as I might, it's very hard for me to imagine this movie being anything other than awesome. And that being an like anticipation type of quote, I think it's safe to say, Todd, that those uh, that awesome status of a movie that came true, right? Uh, yeah, it's a pretty awesome movie. It's all like uh, we're not doing even like Japan on Fire on Kaiju this time. I, I tend to do Kaiju over that show, but this time it is like it's no Toho monsters. There's no Daie monsters. This is Taiwan's monsters, if you will. So what we got here in the big calamity is General Guan Yu battling aliens from Mars. And uh, slowly but surely, this uh, 1976 movie is becoming more widespread. And it's again called the big calamity. Is also known as War God, and it is an event unlike any other from Taiwan that I can think of, at least from this era. And it's an event picture that sparks giddiness in even non-fans of the men in suits smashing buildings and battling other men mm -hmm. in suits type of movie. I, I've have, I have it on like record that people who do not like Godzilla cannot dig this one. Uh, maybe it's the Taiwan connection, who knows? But regardless, Taiwan was a little kaiju engine that could. And we'll discuss <laughs> more in detail about uh, what it is they do in this uh, wacky little movie. And I am Kennedy. And as you heard, with me again is Todd Statman. So say hi properly, buddy. Hi, Ken and everybody. You know, I'm, I'm crap at releasing these episodes. The last time we recorded this was like pre-release of your book, Funky Bollywood. Yeah, it, I think it was back in February, wasn't it? And then the episode just came out yesterday. So I might release this episode after you've written your uh, next book, probably. Like, Funky Bollywood 2, Electric Boogaloo is out by the time you I'm hear this episode. I'm to find out what that book is. Uh, <laughs> so. I mean, I, I, have you thought of a follow-up to Funky Bollywood, in all honesty, in all seriousness? No, I have I. Uh, people are already starting to ask me that, but uh, yeah, I don't think I'm ready to answer that question. I will say that I've written the first sentence of my next book, but it's just a standalone, and it's. But I will say that it commits me to a certain tone, so it seems like a good jumping-off point. But it, I think the next thing I do will be something very different. I don't really. I don't really want to become the Bollywood guy, you know. I, I, I'd like to do move on to something else. Maybe another film book, but maybe something different. But right now, I'm just working on promoting this, which is uh, uh, is actually kind of a full time job. I'm finding, um, which is I'm not complaining, mind you. Indeed, it's been a fun book launch. Uh, judging by the reactions on social media, and uh, I got a book. Mm -hmm. I got the book myself, so it seems to have gone down well. 
with uh, those who reviewed it and those who just picked it up yes. and, uh, and read it. So good on you and congratulations. I, I kind of knew this would happen because I just d- dug the angle you d- you know presented uh, before us uh, b- with that book. Oh, thank I, you. It, it just kind of like it triggers uh, some curious uh, nature in people. Maybe those who think Bollywood is all lavish musicals and what have you will go like, hey, does this exist? I'll pick that up. Yeah, I mean, it is really, you know, you were saying you're a novice, but it's really for people like you, Ken, people who are interested in general uh, cult cinema and um, who have not seen this uh, Bollywood cinema, but it sort of presents an entryway for you, if you so choose, that there's genre, these genre movies that were made. But yeah, I think it's a very accessible book. I think it's a very, it presents itself as being very accessible. And I think people are responding to that positively. It's just a friendly little book that wants to be your friend. Oh my God! Is it going to come to life and take over? <laughs> yeah. and take over life. I yes. rule this household now. Hi, Ken. I'm your friend. What? How come you're not reading me? How come you left me in the bathroom all night? I kill you. I'll kill you in your sleep. <laughs> Hi, what? <laughs> I'll swallow your soul. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a popping book in all manners. So, but uh, yeah, in all seriousness, congratulations on the launch, and the book will obviously be available even if this episode comes out in June. Funky Bollywood is uh, going to be available at least. Uh, uh, on in some local bookstores uh, wherever we are in the world, but on the likes on on the likes of Amazon and what have you. Very cool. But we'll um, we'll get into the big calamity then. By uh, but first, some quick contact information about uh, where we are and what we do uh, other than writing books and podcasting and what have you. So there's this Taiwan Noir on the Podcast on Fire Network, the website where you'll find this show and all the other shows on Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, and even sleazy cinema. Podcastonfire.com, and we also do bonus episodes every now and again. Email us if you have any questions or feedback. Podcastonfire at googlemail.com We have a page over on Facebook that you can like and uh, we'll post new episodes on there when they are released. Facebook.com forward slash POF Network and we also update you and we chat about uh, general stuff about Asian cinema in the discussion group that's called Podcast on Fire Network and that's how you'll find it when you search for it. We also have a Twitter account. It's available at twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. I write about Hong Kong cinema, Taiwanese cinema, and those wacky Godfrey Ho ninja movies, and even non-Godfrey Ho wacky ninja movies, and adult movies, uh, plus various genres uh, too, over at SoGoodReviews.com. And I do little spoken video reviews uh, at uh, SleazyKVideo.com, mini commentaries on the movies I review. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And Taiwan Noir, Noir is available on iTunes. Uh, rate and subscribe. Uh, rate is uh, something you can just uh, do by clicking the star rating uh, if you are familiar with iTunes. And if you have the time, please leave a written comment as well. That will act perfectly fine as a review. Yeah, tell us which one of us you like better. <laughs> tell us who has the best mohawk. Oh yeah, I'm going to win something for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can compete. I can only do the faux hawk at this point. Right on. And uh, do that over at iTunes. But if you don't like downloading podcasts to your device, there is the ability and um, and uh, option, rather, to stream us on Stitcher Radio. They have a website, but Movies Way to Stream Us is on their applications available 
on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And finally from me, Taiwan Black Movies is a term we throw around every now and again. It's the name of a documentary on the subject. But over at the blog Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, there are a number of posts about Taiwanese movies that were used as source movies over at IFD and Filmark, uh, and uh, they cut these uh, great uh, westerners like Richard Harrison into some of those movies, but it's important to identify them because they are important genre films, some of them, despite being merged with ninja action. All right, buddy, the floor's yours. What do you want to plug? Because you, you got some stuff you can plug. I'm going to keep it brief. Uh, I My hub... Uh, I'll say is my blog, Die Danger, Die, Die, Kill. That's Die Danger, Die, Die, Kill dot blogspot dot com, a.k.a. 40K. Uh, there you'll find my writings on a wide variety of offbeat international genre cinema. You'll also find um, in the sidebar on the homepage links to, you know, my Facebook page, my Twitter account, and my Tumblr even, things like uh, there's a link to the Pop Offensive page, which is the radio show I do. Um, and also there's a sale link for my book, Funky Bollywood, now available uh, wherever fine books are sold from Fab Press. So let's dive into it. You know, the, the sparse details available for this 1976 Taiwanese production directed by Little Heroes, Chen Hung Min. Uh, we refer to Little Hero as the Master Master movie. <laughs> and everybody knows what that is. At least me and Todd knows. And, uh, but the combined sources of my friend Sylvia Roram, uh, net is uh, where I heard of the movie the first time, uh, Kenneth Wu, and uh, your blog, Todd, uh, Die Danger, Die Die Kill, you made a blog post about the movie. Y- you're thankful for the background, but you come to the conclusion that no background is needed because the concept is so awesome. Guan Yu versus Martians, well, why would you need anything else? At once, uh, we-, we only had a poster and lobby cards available to us at once, and looking at that... It's fascinating how much giddiness and fascination it sparks uh, when we even see that media. I was thankful for the fact that this movie existed and now I could see it, you know, and and it's so meaningful to know that it is out there in some shape or form. But I'm glad we did see it. But it all kind of started with you, I think. I think I heard your and Toss Talkers podcast on this movie and the subject in general first. And maybe you want to tell us about your discovery of the movie. Actually, I think it started with Tars Tarkas. In fact, I know, at least in my little universe, it started with Tars Tarkas, and he should be very proud of himself because he did kind of set a fire with this movie. But, yeah, we when we started doing our podcast, The Infernal Brains, it really started as just him and I sitting at my kitchen table talking about Taiwanese, what we were calling Taiwanese kaiju movies because we had discovered that some uh, Taiwanese martial arts movies, fantasy wuja films in particular, had would feature um, rubber suit monsters very much like the uh, rubber suit monsters in the Toho and the Japanese kaiju movies. Mm-hmm. But they tended to, um, you know, the monsters didn't, tended not to be the main attraction. It usually was like one episode within the film where the hero would fight a dragon or fight a giant frog or something like that. Yeah. Um, but then uh, Tars unearthed these lobby cards on some website. I mean, that person, whoever's website that was, I think it might have been a Japanese site even, but he discovered these these lobby cards of this film, War God, which showed a giant 
Guang Yu's standing amid uh, a model Hong Kong facing off against these uh, very kind of stereotypical looking giant Martians like bug-eyed antennas <laughs> and, you know, the big, huge heads and little bodies. And this looked like a film that was really a kaiju-type film in the classic sense where the main point of the movie was the the monsters these creatures and the special effects and so this was sort of became very quickly became a holy grail for us and of course that was you know that is almost a hobby in itself for us is to become the obsession as part of the hobby and this was at a time i had many holy grails at that time and i've since learned that those films uh eventually do show up. Most of the ones that I've been obsessed with have eventually shown up. I'm still waiting for the Filipino movie um, Batman Fights Dracula to surface. But what things is that like, about? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a high concept there. Uh, as you would say, it's about the Holocaust. Yeah, probably is, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this did indeed surface uh, eventually. Uh, at least for me, I saw it about two years ago. Um, it looks like, it, and it's a... It was a um, burnt off a cafe home video release, but it also looked like there was an Indonesian imprint on it. It's I don't know if it's I'm looking at the same version that you are. Uh, but... Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I remember the cafe home video logo. Whether whether or not that's Taiwanese in origin or Indonesian, I don't know. But it it it, it wasn't Mandarin anyways. It wasn't dubbed in any other dialect or language. Yeah, it might even be a TV broadcast. Not sure. But by the time it did show up, it, it had been on our want list for so long. And he and I interviewed, uh, re- we reviewed it at the same time. And I, and it, it met my expectations. It exceeded my expectations, actually, because usually the things with these, I don't know if this is true for you, Ken, but if you become obsessed with seeing a movie, uh, the, one of these lost films, usually when it terms, turns up, in most cases, it ends up being a disappointment. So I was well prepared for War God to be a disappointment, but it turned out to be pretty much what was advertised, a Taiwanese kaiju movie, or maybe more accurately, a, a Taiwanese tokusatsu movie, and that it has a lot in common with the Japanese sort of uh, superhero shows like Ultraman and all that. That, that whole... Uh anticipating and hyping up a movie i've learned maybe subconsciously to uh to not build up expectations because uh, indeed you you could be disappointed i mean there was this rare shaw brothers movie to kill a mastermind that was never put out by celestial on dvd and vcd it turned up eventually and people had built up expectations like you read about just because it was rare i i just knew it was rare i didn't like uh, sit sit there and tap my fingers it's gotta be available soon 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 it turned out in the case of that movie it was pretty good but uh i didn't have this uh, like uh, rare it must be good kind of expectations that some fans unfortunately do uh, so uh, they are i think actually that my being not disappointed with war god led me to actually overstate its virtues on occasion because i know in one in one form i can't remember what it was but i was talking about the special effects and i was saying they were on par with you know the best 
Japanese miniature effects, and they're really not. It's I mean they're good, and there there's lots of them, which is one of the things I love about the film. But they're more on a it's it's more on a TV scale. It's like there's definitely not the model work is not uh, as meticulous as E.G. Tsuburaya's and the Godzilla movies, but it's still, you know, it, there's a lot that, you know, there's a, there's like wall to wall carnage for about half this movie. So if they had to cut some corners, that's forgivable. And uh, we, we're going to throw around some different titles of the movie because it, uh, it has been released, uh, according to research, uh, with various English titles. Uh, for instance, it, were, it was released as War God in Taiwan, which seems like the more apt title. I mean, uh, other titles for the Hong Kong market have been thrown around like Hong Kong Calamity, The Big Calamity, or just Calamity. M- maybe that is true. I haven't seen posters with English uh, titles on it, but the Hong Kong Movie Database title for the movie is The Big Calamity. So I'm kind of going uh, with that, even though I like War God better. Yeah, I think for our purposes, War God is more descriptive because we approach this as like a monster movie. But I think the title Calamity makes more sense. I and I can't remember my source for my review, but I found an article where they translated the original promotional Taiwanese promotional materials, and they were promoting it as a disaster movie, which makes sense because this was 1976, and that was when that was like right at the heart of the time when all the big disaster movies were coming out of Hollywood, and I'm sure those were popular throughout the world um but yeah you know towering inferno and earthquake and all those and and the film definitely has that feel to it also it's kind of a unique it's actually a kind of unique film for the things it combines yeah it never like uh, it, it didn't spark like 10 other war gods if you will this still is very uh, a unique snapshot in uh, 1976 Taiwanese cinema which was more dominated by martial arts and melodrama to be very fair as well yes. so it's uh, Ch- Chen Hongmin uh, was very um, visionary in that regard and this movie by the way came came out on July 24th 1976 it's actually my birthday three years later oh, all right. but, but still my birthday July 24th uh, director Chen Hongmin mentioned in a quote from a Taiwanese newspaper article uh, about the challenge to execute the many special effects shot during this one year production they took wow they, they needed time I think because this was not in their wheelhouse I think and uh you know, in Taiwan and Hong Kong, they would have made uh, three or four movies during that span, you know what I mean? But this had focus on effects, and it needed to look right. And it's it's more easy to shoot martial arts in the woods, and uh, that, that'll take a couple of days. This had to take a year. And uh, and there was also the, the, cons- the notion that it was... That people doubted that this production could even be achieved when all was said and done. You know, film companies uh, thought that this was too high concept for even uh, even Taiwan, but they did execute it. But it perhaps helped when all was said and done that they had Japanese talent on board, special effects talent on board. Yes, because that experience just brings an entire like weight like you read about uh, to to the table and uh, according to credits uh, the talent the main talent they brought in is uh, Takano Koichi this is a special effects supervisor consultant director coordinator on series like Ultraman and Monkey 
and as well as being a director of the Super Red Baron TV series. Uh, yeah, and he worked on several of the Ultra series. He worked on Ultraman, Ultra 7, Ultraman Leo, uh, a few of those. And he also worked on, he obviously worked with E.G. Tsuburaya because he did, uh, he worked on King Kong versus Godzilla as well. And uh, it all neatly ties together to Taiwanese cinema as well, the Super Red Baron in particular, because that turned into a Taiwanese production called the iron man that used special effects footage from super red baron tv series with new scenes shot with local actors and 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 hong kong actors because uh, we have paul chun poi appearing as well as jamie look so it's a neat little combination or and a well done combination of great special effects footage and local actors to sell to the local market and it's not the only example of this in taiwan in, in the 70s actually so, so they d basically did a Power Rangers on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's, yeah, it's but smoothly done, though. Intra, an intra-Asian Power Rangers. I love the, I love Red Baron. That's a great series, actually. It's really fun. So I, I didn't know it had, had been shown in Taiwan too. Um, I thought it was interesting that you, you mentioned that there weren't any other War God movies because there really could have been. I mean, this could have been a series. It could have been a TV series, you know, where War God fights a different threat on each occasion. Space is big. Space is big, right. There's many, many threats out there, but it definitely has that, has that feel. Um, you know, and the and the whole transformation thing of the idol turns into the war god, and yeah, and it has that. I mean, it definitely kind of speaks to the little kid in you. Because I, if I had seen this movie when I was ten, I would just, you know, it would be one of my all-time favorites. You know, I would still think of it as I think of like the Godzilla movies and stuff like that. Oh, very much so. It has it it has that feeling, indeed. That uh, that. Even in adult, as an adult, you get giddy seeing uh, this uh, feeling that these movies project. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's uh, that that speaks to its uh, production quality. Uh, you would uh, you could certainly uh, certainly uh, argue. But by the way, another alternate title that was thrown around at the time was Hong Kong Calamity because it is set in Hong Kong. I'll, I'll explain why it is. As an official title among moviegoers and the filmmakers, the more apt title was thrown around, apparently uh, translated as, and I wish this would have been the title of the movie, Guangong vs. Aliens. Perfectly fine title too, but uh, War God is, uh, is fine, the Big Calamity is also fine, as we said. But the ultimate conception came via producer Fu Xinghua, who wanted to film a modern-day movie with a mythical legend at uh, center. And he talked to director Chen Hung-min and brainstormed about how to make this appeal to kids. Because the previous movie that uh, duo shot, The Mars Men, was geared more towards older audiences. And they wanted to differentiate from the feel of that. I have never, I have not seen Mars Men. Have you? Is that really geared towards an adult audience? Uh, apparently, according to my research, I have, I've only seen clip, clips of it. So may, may, maybe they, they're a bit, they were a bit sensitive in terms of this feels a little bit more adult, even though it might not have been, might not have been adult as such. Uh, 
because it does sound fun and Marsman doesn't sound like a horror movie necessarily so no it's a well it's yeah because it's a silly Taiwanese ripoff of a Japanese show right, so it's interesting anyway maybe they put some titties in there oh yeah maybe for the local audiences maybe yeah right so, exactly yeah when all is said and done with War God or the Big Calamity they merged an old heroic story and legend uh, worshipped throughout the ages and, and therefore tapping into Chinese spiritual belief and traditional, you know, traditional culture and traditional popular culture, because Guan Yu is a known, uh, a known god that, uh, you know, common people, so to say, worship. So it was not this uh, out of left field unknown element, but it also, they also merged it with science fiction and popular act, popular actors and therefore had, on paper anyway, attractive cinema to, at that time's a young audience and maybe all audiences as well. It's not a kid's movie, like a silly kid's movie. It's, uh, uh, so I, I think it would have appealed to a larger demographic. So therefore it's kind of smartly conceived uh, that way. Ken, did you, I felt that the message very clearly was science bad, faith good. That was my literal note. Science bad, faith good, yeah. because right. I'm, because yes. I'm not very smart. So. <laughs> well, you don't have to be in this case, right? You even have the young, you know, the the father is the the old man who is trying to make the perfect statue of Guan Yu as his eyesight is fading, and he's the one, the man of faith who's vexed by his young son, who is a quote space scientist unquote, which seems to mostly involve he he works in this white laboratory very starkly modern with all these other people in white lab coats and basically they just seem to torture bees all day like they're <laughs> trying they're trying to recreate the at hypothesized at atmospheres of other planets yeah. on these bees in these little glass domes and so they're like gassing them with ammonia and like subjecting them to high pressure and this is what he does and this is space science and he tells his dad at one point there is no god in the 20th century just in case you're missing the science bad angle Hey, it's for all audiences, man. Even stupid audience like me. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think their argument for faith is a little flawed, though, because if you have to introduce, I mean, I believe, you know, uh, I'm I'm a doubter, uh, but if you produce, if God manifested Himself in physical form as a giant who like destroyed buildings and killed aliens, okay. I'll, I'll buy it, but I mean, you know, if that's what you have to posit in order to argue for the value of faith over science. And the aliens seem, you know, they're sort of punishing mankind, too. There's a lot of, like, very sort of Old Testament sort of punitiveness in this movie because the aliens are here because they want us to stop using nuclear Bomb power and nuclear bombs. They're pissed. They're pissed at us. About oh boy, that. are they pissed? Terribly. Yeah, and so yeah, so they've given the Earth. I think they give forty-eight hours, which is pretty generous, uh, <laughs> to get to get rid of all their nuclear weapons, or they'll destroy Hong Kong. Indeed, that, right? That's like yeah. It's not. Uh, it's not New York. It's not. You know, it's it's not London. It's it's Hong Kong, we'll and it's not even Taiwan. And that actually leads into the fact that it was supposed to kind of be set in Taiwan, and uh, the lo the location for the movie 
uh, and its battles changed during production because sets were built for the Ximending area of Taipei, but the government census ultimately didn't deem it suitable to have it set in Taiwan. So the setting was moved to Hong Kong. And essentially, they were saying, yeah, go fuck up Hong Kong instead. <laughs> yeah, thumbs up. But, but in re- reality, that is what Taiwanese census did for a while. There's a couple of these uh, social realist movies of the late 70s and early 80s that were set in Hong Kong because it was sensitive to put, you know, violent events in Taiwan, uh, but way more safe to put it in Hong Kong. Uh, like the Miss 45 remake, Girl with a Gun, is set in Hong uh-huh. Kong. And therefore, you didn't, you didn't need to worry about uh, any mild social commentary trickling in there. Because right. in Hong Kong, anything can happen. In Taiwan... Oh, oh no, it can't happen here. Never, never, never. So, Except in Hong Kong, if you're going to have any freaky witchcraft things going on, then you have to set it in Malaysia or you have to set it in some, you know, in, in another country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They often go to Borneo in the, in Borneo, in, right? In those kind of movies, yeah. The sad thing is that uh, this cost the production to move uh, to move location because uh, they had already burnt, literally burnt up, you know, one million yuan uh, wow. and and wasted it. And uh, they it seemed like based on the research, they shot some stuff uh, when it was set in Taiwan and almost burned down. The studio uh, during a sequence involving. Uh, oh, but by the way, uh, sorry. They when they did move to Hong Kong, they almost burned down that build that they spent additional money on uh, because uh, during a sequence uh, set in, in Kowloon and it, that involved fire, it almost burned down the studio. And it was pretty co- common that the crew would be injured uh, through usage of gunpowder and fire on set. There's a lot of pyrotechnics and. Uh, yes, there is. Yeah. Gunpowder and fire seem probably was you know, maybe high tech for a movie in 1976. Still had its risk factor, and uh, so uh, it was not a safe, uh, safe and warm and uh, uh, environment to work in, uh, I suppose. So well, warm it was, but <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. They didn't have any complaints about the heat. Hey, you know what, Ken? I found my um my conclude. I looked up my review of War God, and I found my conclusion because I just wanted to remind myself what I said about it. Do you want to hear what I said? Absolutely, go for it. Despite my fears, War God actually lived up to my expectations. After all, as I indicated earlier, the thing that is most awesome about War God is the idea of War God. And the filmmakers here honored that idea to the best that their means and abilities would allow. The film's pacing is breathless, its distinctions between good and evil deliciously stark, and it's doling out of cheap special effects and miniature carnage just about as generous as one could hope for. And 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 when all is said and done, there should be some some background on even even uh, B movies like this, so to say. But I say B movie with affection, and I mean you know even going back to. You know, when uh, monster movies out of Japan hit, I mean, they were necessarily not uh, art movies that they were, everyone respected necessarily. They were entertaining movies, and they, it all started, of course, uh, in the 50s and kept on ruling in the 60s and 70s. And that meant that other territories, other than Japan, wanted to get in, get in this, uh, get in this like monster movie, Tokusatsu, Kaiju feel. And, Hong Kong did, for instance, in The Mighty Peking Man, Super Inframan, of course, which is one of the greatest movies ever, Super Inframan. Yeah, absolutely. What's interesting is that in 1976, when this came out, the kaiju uh, genre in Japan had kind of died down. I think uh, 
Toho had stopped making Godzilla movies, you know, I think with uh, Godzilla, the wonderful Godzilla versus Megalon, and even the tokusatsu thing had started to die down. There was this huge, all of a sudden, there was just tons of superhero shows on TV, and that had kind of died down, which I don't know, maybe it explains why they were able to get to Kano Koichi for this film, because maybe the underemployed special effects people in Japan were coming to Hong Kong or coming to Taiwan to look for work. I mean, I know there's a long tradition of Hong Kong cinema trading uh, technicians with Japan back and forth. So it's almost like an apprenticeship program. Yeah, it's like the, this film sort of fills a, it, it, it sort of fills a gap. Yeah, a kaiju gap. If Indeed, you will. it does, and uh, I, I think uh, if they maybe they were not unemployed, but certainly easily employable because the schedules open up a little bit more, and therefore they could mm-hmm. import uh, talent uh, certainly. So you know that's in the movie's favor that they could employ such a name talent uh, for this. Uh, but uh, Taiwan, you know, wanted a piece of this cake even before uh, before uh, 1976. Uh, they dipped their toes into this. Uh, Within several rarely seen low-budget movies, I've not seen a large majority of the movies that you guys discussed on your Infernal Brains podcast, uh, where you talked of movies like Devil Fighter from 1969 that on the lobby cards show shows martial arts heroes battling uh, like a bat type of creature, which... Yeah, it's like a Batman. It looks kind of like the... I don't know, it looks like kind of one of the flying monkeys from The Wizard of Oz or something, but it's giant. But that film, I think, is is also lost. I don't think that one has turned up yet. That's why you haven't seen that. There's also The Fairy and the Devil from 1982, which you informed us on that podcast is a cut-and-paste production where the good stuff, you know, the monster scenes, the yes. kaiju scenes, are inserted from elsewhere. There's actually three movies that share a lot this same monster footage. The Fairy and the Devil being the latest that I know of. And then there's another one called The Ghost. I can't remember what the other name. I'll have to bring up that article. Uh, The Something from the Sea. I can't remember. And actually, those special effects were done by Takana Koichi in that case too. Right. But a lot of those monster effects came from a movie called Su Hong Wu, mm-hmm. which came out in 1971, but not all of them. There's some other, like all of the monster footage from Su Hong Wu is used in the fairy and the devil. And I would definitely recommend seeking out Su Hong Wu because fairy and the devil, when there aren't monsters on screen is pretty hard to, it's a hard slog. Um, but there's other footage in The Fairy and the Devil. There's like a, a, a fight between like a giant yeti. I'm trying to remember what it is, but there's other monster footage that, uh, is not in Su Hongwu. So that's sort of mysterious what the source, source of that is. But yeah, that's a very early, Su Hongwu is definitely a very early incidence of Taiwanese kaiju. I wonder the way you describe, like, fighting the Yeti and what have you, it possibly is from a movie I've seen in full called The Savior Monk, which has one sequence where that monk battles, battles a huge troll with, that has, uh, like, a horn in the middle of his head and things like that, so. Maybe, yeah. Which is the the movie so and so, but that sequence is awesome in itself, so it's worth sitting through, but uh, otherwise, there's no focus in The Savior Monk on special uh, special effects of that kind so so it's one of those like uh, whoa this 
this is different for for five minutes, and then it turned out to be more of a period movie, possibly a martial arts movie. I've forgotten most of that movie, aside from that sequence, to be honest. Yeah, it's true. A lot of those movies, that's really what you take away from it. Well, that was a cool monster. I don't remember anything else that happened in that movie, <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> And uh, later on in 1984, you have uh, quite a known movie uh, called King of Snake, uh, mainly known because IFD, Joseph Lies IFD, picked up the movie and re-edited it into Thunder of Gigantic Serpent with uh, footage starring uh, Pierre Kirby mixed with the special effects footage and some of the narrative footage from King of Snake. Yeah, so it's uh, it's rather enjoyable. It's not great for special effects, but uh-huh. uh, that uh, giant snake that uh, wraps around Bill Buildings and what have you. It's it's quite fun, and uh, a lot of the movie is devoted to the giant snake and the little girl who's befriended the snake and things like that. So uh, there you are. Uh, I want to mention a couple of other examples of. I mentioned the Iron Man being a cut and paste sort of uh, mixture between special effects footage acquired from Japan mixed with local actors, and there's a fantastic little uh, movie called Super Riders Against the Devils, which uses one of the Cayman Rider feature movies as its basis. And then on loan from, because I talked once upon a time to August Ragoni about this movie, and he said they essentially they, the sets and the costumes were on loan from Japan to Taiwan mm. to shoot their own footage with local actors in a convincing manner and then merge that with the already existing special effects footage and the footage with uh, men in suits, uh, like um, not giant uh, uh, giant monsters, but like monsters in suits fighting each other. And the results are pretty damn convincing, to be honest, because they got the quality of the original production on low. Mm-hmm. Is that a Shaw Brothers film? No, it is a Taiwanese uh, a Taiwanese movie. They they did a couple actually. Well, when they had those sets and costumes on loan, they did about two or three of these movies uh, with Cayman Rider as kind of the basis, uh, one of the features or two of the features. So uh, there was this um, want in the seventies to cash in on the commercial appeal after it's died out a little bit because this is a mid seventies movie, Super Riders Against the Devil. Uh, but uh, the energy was often firmly in place in these movies, uh, which uh, you you can sort of agree on. Like when you get these sequences, at least in these movies, they uh, they, they respond fairly well to uh, the feel you got from Japan, even though they're not at the same elite level necessarily all the time. And there, and there is a little bit of a uh, again a little bit more of a mean spiritedness to it. I mean, Guan Yu is a god, so I guess his his violence is supposed to you know, come with the weight of of divine authority, you know. So when he finally does away with the uh, Martians, it's pretty brutal, and they're all quivering, literally. They're, like, peeing themselves. Well, I don't they don't show them peeing themselves, but one can imagine. But then he just, you know, he slices and dices away and just destroys them mercilessly, which is, you know, fine, but it's, yeah, it's just a little bit. A little bit harder, harder edge than some of, than like Johnny Sacco and his flying robot or something like that, you know. All right, and then cut to present day. That not only includes the movie being spread on torrent sites, finally, because it's not easy to find a cafe home video VHS and there's no disc release as such, but... A couple of years ago, there was uh, a bit of news about a possible re-release for the movie. That, that never seemed to happen. I remember that, yeah. Uh, Hong Kong director Edmond Pang Ho Chung uh, 
director of You Shoot, I Shoot, Dream Home, and Suddenly in Black, he showed a keen interest in re-releasing the film, according to some news out of uh, one of the film festivals, uh, the Udine Film Festival. And he talked of, uh, you know, tirelessly looking for a print and wanting to restore the movie for re-release and do a new dub in Cantonese, featuring his uh, Love in a Puff stars Miriam Jung and Sean Yu. But this all died down and possibly this project was abandoned due to maybe the print source is not being good enough for re-release, which I think is uh, is not impossible that that's actually a fact. No, that's, yeah, that's very, unfortunately, very conceivable. Yeah, because if any, this movie definitely deserves a DVD release. It's, it's, a, it's you know, it it is a representative of a genre, but as a Taiwanese film of that genre, and with all the other, the disaster movie elements and the religious elements they bring into it, it's really a unique film, as well as being super entertaining. So I hope someone puts out a DVD of it. Yeah, who who knows uh, you know, what the film archive over in Taipei or other film archives in Taiwan, what they have, uh, because there's not a like catalogue of what they have currently and what's right. uh, remastered, but what's unreleasable on disc because there's no commercial appeal for it. So, so But one hopes that there is a decent print out there. But uh, even if we are stuck with this partially widescreen subtitle print forever and ever, I'm fine with that because it is very watchable in this form, despite. Yeah, it's not terrible far as those, you know, sort of a nth generation uh, video dub. It's it looks pretty good, uh, you know. And I'm thinking the the amount of time it took for this to turn up is an in, and I don't think I've talked to anybody who's seen it who hasn't seen the same version. If I'd heard people, you know, sometimes if people go, well, I saw a widescreen version that had Polish subtitles, and I haven't heard any of that. I've just, you know, it seems like this is the only version that's out there, and it took a really long time for that to come along. So it may just be, yeah, that this film is, well, it's not lost, but it's semi-lost. But all right, we are going to talk a little bit again about director Chen Hung Min, and it turns out this editor-turned-director has explored special effects and injected the monster vibe into prior and subsequent movies a little bit. <laughs> uh, we, we have talked yeah. about Little Hero, and we'll mention it uh, during this example uh, run-through, if, run if you will. So if we go back to the 1971 movie, The Eight Immortals, this uh, is one of the formerly lost movies that surfaced on DVD, thanks to the company Fusion putting out a, a catalogue of discs that were directly from quite battered cinema prints, but mm. subtitled Mandarin language cinema prints. And uh, I wrote of the film, uh, it brings the right spirit and energy. It's not a great movie, but it showcases a lot of like cool wuxia weaponry and uh, yes. animated special effects and like puppetry including like um, a puppet that looks like a nasty bird there's poison gas <laughs> and there's and there's a, a a ferocious boar head that comes out of a peach yes yes indeed <laughs> and we get some whipping and torture as well in the movie so there you are it's like the icing on the cake right there uh it, it's it's a fairly good fun it, it helps if you're a fan of this cinema energy if you will and if you're fascinated a little bit with Taiwanese cinema in terms of its early experimental uh, experimental stages 
in terms of special effects, uh, but th- there is some crap here. Actually, they use action figures meant to be miniatures at one point. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. But but the energy and spirit is there, so it, it's fairly it's fairly watchable. The Eight Immortals, and if you can't find that old DVD by Fusion, I think I've seen it in full on YouTube as well. If yeah, if you don't have pretend, if you don't bring a lot of pretensions to these movies, you can have a lot of fun with them. You know, you just gotta like roll with it you know take them as they're intended you were going to mention fly dragon mountain uh. yeah we we reviewed that movie and it's one of the ones that actually exists in taiwan in a good version and a fairly remastered version it was put out on dvd with optional subtitles and widescreen and it's a solid wuxia pian with uh, like distinct nods uh, atmosphere wise i would say to the spaghetti western and actually it has a fair emotional grip on you that few Taiwanese-made genre movies of this kind has. I mean, uh, I mentioned that Chen Hung-min's filmography contains special effects movies, but it also seems very martial arts-oriented also, out of the ones that have been, so to say, unearthed. Uh, But this movie shows there's a a director of intelligence and uh, even, like, um, importance, if you look at uh, the whole uh, filmography overall. It has some chops dramatic and special effects uh special effects love present there how awesome would it have been if the octopus from little hero had made a cameo in war god you know maybe it could have been like the secret weapon of the martians or something so he starts throw, throwing the octopus octopus fetus fetus at the martians <laughs> i think yeah i think guan yu would have made pretty short work of it yeah, he's like, chop. Well, that's, that's a done with. Master, master, he chopped our, he chopped, <laughs> he chopped it. Yeah. And indeed, Little Hero that we reviewed, and I, I call it uh, normally Taiwan Reefer Madness because it is uh, kind of, uh, it, it's mad and it's, it's, uh, you, you can watch it uh, through a drug haze and have a, have a ball. I didn't, and I still had a ball. <laughs> Speaking of Taiwan Reefer Madness, you get some like literal Taiwan Reefer Madness in War God because there's the character of the sister, the younger sister, Liu, uh, of the of the space scientist hero. And I think she's supposed to represent everything that's wrong with the youth of today, you know, which is represented by her. She rides a motorcycle, and she's in a motorcycle gang, I guess. And then at some point she's, like, in a park at night dancing to kung fu fighting with a bunch of other youngsters, and uh, she's definitely supposed to be sort of the lost, you know, she's quit school. She doesn't know what she's doing with her life. And she ends up being sort of the mouthpiece for the Martians at some point. But, uh, oh, and the other thing I want to mention is the music for this movie is fantastic. It's like, a, it's got like a black exploitation uh, soundtrack, you yeah, know, all that Yeah, so, yeah, they may be trying to represent modernity as being bad, but it makes it seem very glamorous. I just wish that the War God had his own Shaft-type theme song, you know? He's, yeah, he's a complicated god and no one understands him but his woman. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, Little Hero, we talked a bunch of it, but it, it, it's like, it's very low budget. I mean, if, if Calamity, yes. the war god could be, be considered like to look cheap in places, Little Hero is cheap in places, but it is energetic, laughable trash. And I say that with 
the hugest beating heart for for Little Hero. It's uh, it's quite annoying actually. It's quite a movie <laughs> because the comedy is so broad. But you know, it, it's fun all throughout, and eventually you get uh, Polyquan fighting giant squids, firing baby squids between each other, trying <laughs> trying to hit Polyquan, and it's exactly as laughably bad and fun as it sounds when people talk about Little Hero. I'm not going to say anything because then it'll be like the sixth time that I've described the octopus scene in Little Hero on a podcast. I literally have talked about that so much. It's like, maybe that's what my next book will be about. (laughs) It'll be about just that fight with the rubber octopuses in Little Hero. And I'll just go into all the all the cultural significance and, you know, I'll do various readings on it. I'd buy five copies. <laughs> All right, they're done. Done and done. And the final movie that we highlight here in the Chen Hung Min filmography, uh, one I haven't seen, and if my info is correct, The Moss Man is said to be a spin-off from the Jamborg Ace Japanese TV series produced by uh, Godzilla special effects master Eiji Tsuburaya's production company. Uh, but but it also, what I wrote here, alternatively, it possibly riffed more on the Japanese Taiko production, Jumborg Ace and Giants. That's that's what it is. It's a uh, it's a movie that when notorious uh, Thai film producer Sampot Sands, when he had his alleged deal with Subaraya Productions, I think before he made. Hanuman and the Seven Ultramen, which was the film that became very at the center of the controversy about him stealing the rights to Ultraman. He made a film using footage from, yeah, Jumbo Gase, which was another, uh, Subarai TV series. And then, uh, sort of, sort of like this film, actually, like War God, he, uh, incorporated Thai folk characters and deities into the story. I think, I think Hanuman is in it as well. And then, and so Marsmen, I'm confused about Marsmen because sometimes it's referred to as an Italian film. I guess there was an Italian version too. But anyway, that got turned into Marsmen and I'm not sure how much new footage was shot for it, but it's so it's, it's like a third generation patch up job on John Borg Ace with some Thai footage. Yeah, yeah. You, you, when you all hear about it, you you describing it and reading a little bit about it. It seems like it exists in a couple of different versions, and maybe the Shen Hung Min credited version is unique to Taiwan and Hong Kong, if you will. Yes. Uh, uh, because it does use different footage and maybe they shot some with local actors. Uh, but, uh, you know, b- b- based on the Italian dubbed uh, clips that I've seen, because uh, presumably it was uh, released over there, you-, you got Martians invading Earth and they are giants when beamed down to Earth. So there's building destruction, presumably. And Jumbo Gaze jumps into the story to defend Earth and the men in suit action ensue. And, uh, the clips show decent energy, and uh, that's uh, I- I've actually written that there's also there's been like possibly French dubbed clips or versions out there of it. So it's one of those that uh, we would love to get our hands on, but we can only speculate a little bit about the entire contents and like uh, of it. But uh, there there is some uh, some background and so some joy in knowing that it exists, I suppose. I mean, Giant and Jumbo A, which is Sampot Sands' version of it, that is a perfectly entertaining film, mainly because all of the special effects 
footage is taken from the Subarai TV series. You know, he just built, there's like a few little bits that he does, but most of what he does is like a lot of footage of people in like science patrol type uniforms running around, you know, sort of the stuff that he really specialized in, which was like really pointless uh, comic relief and, uh, you know, occasional TNA stuff with no justification whatsoever. So, um, but that's, uh, I mean, that's a, one of his more entertaining films. All righty. Let's, uh, before we get into the review, let's just set up who Guan Yu is. Uh, you know, it's important that we talk that this is a god, but, uh, yeah, that fights uh, Martians in this movie. But hey, let's just provide <laughs> some context despite. And uh, Sylvia Roram provided some background info to this figure. We've seen worshipped in movies. We've seen in moving form versus Martians, as I said, and played by actor Anthony Wong in the triad set tire Jiang Hu of the Triad Zone, where he, he appears out of nowhere and even shocks the characters in the movie. Like when he appears, I am Guan Yu, and people go, huh? Okay, we're doing this now. And he he's invited to like the Triad Boss's apartment. He tries to work the remote control. And if I remember correctly, he catches sight of the porn channel and sits there stroking his beard. <laughs> Not anything else. So there, there you are. Anthony Wong is wonderful as uh, Guan Yu uh, in that the triad satire. And uh, speaking of Anthony Wong, he's in Hardboiled as well. And you see in Hardboiled uh, Chow fat begging for a better apartment at the uh, Guan Yu altar at the police station in Hardboiled in the beginning third of Hardboiled. So you can see Guan Yu uh, in movie in two of the two movies right there. It's something once you see it, like once you see one of the idols. If you watch War God, the minute you see the idol, it's like, oh yeah, that that guy because you've seen it in so many contexts it's indeed and uh, he was a general who served under his sworn brother the warlord liu bei during the late eastern han dynasty era of china he played a significant role in the civil war that led to the collapse of the han dynasty and guan liu bei and the character shang fei are most famous for becoming sworn brothers in a peach tree garden in the historical novel Romance of the Three Kingdoms. And uh, he was popularized not only through that novel, but also through oral traditions, you know, legends and even opera. And he traditionally wears green and has a red face and a long beard. And as we see in The Big Calamity, his weapon is the large heavy blade. He looks very imposing, even in idle form. Am I right? He was a real figure... In a historical figure who became a mythical figure. That right? is, I'm, I mean, I'm a bit unsure of that, to be really honest. You might be onto something to it, so uh, we'll leave that open for now, rather than say indefinitely that I know best. <laughs> uh, but the blade is called a green dragon crescent blade, or translated as that. Uh, in traditional opera, he appears in uh, green armor with a red face uh, scored by black lines that represents honor and courage, and uh, he carries uh, carries what I guess is that blade, the Guan Dao. I, I must say, in in War God, he does a lot of fancy footwork. He's real showy. Like before he dispatches or fights the Martian, he always has to do all these fancy. You know, he he like twirls his Guan Dao around. He like you know rolls it behind his back and like does like a lot of kind of Chinese opera type movements and stuff. He almost dances. A little bit, which is silly, but very, it's pretty cool. Indeed, uh, indeed, it looks like an, uh, looks like an opera performance while he's fighting the Martians, even or while he's, while he's warming up. 
the Martians just kind of stand there while he's doing all this, like, what the fuck? And, and, and then <laughs> he kills them. And we're waiting over here. <laughs> right. I, I, You know, they could have done like that. There's that gag from, you know, Indiana Jones where the guy does all the fancy sword stuff and then Indiana Jones just pulls the gun and shoots him. It's like, it could, they, it could easily have. In the Mad Magazine version of War God, that will Yeah, be that would be happens. like, uh, okay, Martians win. Yeah, exactly. It's like a full 40 minute movie by that point, so. It has to be said about the Martians that they're basically portrayed as bullies from space, you know, how they kind of, they kind of strut around and they have like their clubs and they're just, I mean, they're just there to fuck stuff up. They're not, so they're just taking their clubs and they're like, this is a nice little skyscraper you have here. It would be a pity <laughs> if someone would knock it over. You know, it's very, they're, they're very much, and it's almost their scenes where it looks like, I mean, I don't think I saw this, but I wouldn't be surprised if they would like high five each other. Like, they're like Martian bros. Yeah, they're like, yeah, they're dicks. They're, they're <laughs> not, they're not likable at all. I was okay when he, when he cut the one up and, and spoilers. You know, there's no secret that uh, Guangong, Lord Guan, uh, uh, wins the day. And, uh, and, and indeed, by the way, you referenced that uh, that he was a historical figure that became a god or a myth. And it, that, that's possibly true because he, has, he is now known as Guangong or Lord Guan. And uh, he represents loyalty and righteousness uh, as a god. And he today is still worshipped by many Chinese people in southern China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and even overseas. Uh, so uh, he's uh, worshipped as the guardian of loyal and righteous people, which is fun with the triads worshipping him, because we are loyal and righteous people. We might be murderous criminals, but we are loyal and righteous, <laughs> right. damn it. So yes. we're, we're going to have Guangong as well. So uh, there you are. Uh-huh. <laughs> he is worshipped as a subduer of demons uh, by Taoists and Buddhists as well, uh, as, a, you know, as a guardian of their temples. And uh, you can find his shrines in traditional Chinese shops and restaurants all over the world. Uh, they are often elevated uh, to, to fairly high, uh, high degree. Uh, not that you need a ladder or anything, but uh, it's not like it's uh, uh, on the floor or anything, but uh, fa- fairly elevated. I think I've seen him in some laundries around San Francisco, too. And uh, to cap it all off, uh, he is worshipped, as we said, by Chinese police, triads, and businessmen as well. And it remains very popular in film, uh, television, uh, even manga, video, and computer games. So it's uh, it's a long-lasting uh, myth and uh, popular figure, almost, uh, triggered firmly by this movie or not. So let's get into, uh, because we have reviewed the movie partly, but uh, let's get into the main discussion of the details of the movie, what works and what doesn't. Uh, Todd shared his um, quick bite opinion because he quoted his uh, review, that marvelous quote uh, uh, that uh, gave us uh, like huge praise of the movie. And I'm going to share the praise, obviously. It's 82 minutes of marvelous fun, despite the melodramatic family plot being in it too. It all fits. And again, you don't need to sell it in any other way than saying Guan Yu, if you know who Guan Yu is, versus Martians. That's enough selling point and also, here's the key. 
this managed to come true on screen. It was not just a highfalutin, high concept that they couldn't pull off. They pulled it off. That's why this is 82 minutes of marvelous fun. Uh, we mentioned the music, and uh, but I wanted to combine it a little bit about um, with the credits uh, because the music again is a very black exploitation shaft like. Very much. Chaka waka, chaka Heavy waka, on chaka the wawa. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So you you would expect, uh, as I said, like if uh, if someone were to um, put lyrics to this it should should be among other among other things like general guan is a bad mother shut your mouth hey i'm just talking about general guan <laughs> it gives us no confidence when the credits actually are shot it's just cities and harbors and skyscrapers and scenic shots it's such a boring and long opening piece, opening piece it of credits is, especially since it's uh you know since one of the themes of the movie is the ills of the modern world it's like look at modern society buildings harbors 45 degree angles and crap right, like that yeah, it's yeah even Godfrey Ho for the various IFD movies that the ninja movies that often started with the Hong Kong skyline, even they believed in brevity. But Chen Hung Min just, this goes on and on. Great music. It does go on quite a while. And then it starts with essentially what looks like a woodshop class and no talking because we see the old man carving his statues. Like, all right, that's a good way to catch your attention. Get on with it, movie. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. It does it does start a bit slow. But then there's it, it's I I feel like they they introduce the stakes pretty early where he's, you know, you know that he's he's racing against encroaching glaucoma that he's going to be blind pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the movie's called War God, so we know, we kind of know what we're going to get. So I I feel like the anticip it's the anticipation of what's to come gets us through that. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I have a question for you, and I'm going to post it, but also put things into perspective in terms of 70s Taiwanese cinema. This is a quite a melodramatic movie. Yes. Borderlining on quite dark and depressing, because he is going blind, and he seems to speak with his wife, and uh, but it's all in his head, kind of. So it's very sad, because he lost his wife. And melodrama is by no means a rare occurrence in... Taiwanese cinema, especially Taiwanese romantic melodramas, uh, often starring Bridget Lin, Charlie Chin, Chin Han. So I'm, one, uh, I'm gonna post this question to you. I know you love the movie, but if you're being truly honest, do you think the super serious aura of the movie is a good fit for the big calamity or war god when all is said and done? Yeah, I kind of like the high pitched drama. I do admit, yeah, the uh, Guan, the, uh, or the, uh, I forget what the name of the sculptor was, but, uh, Chow or something like that. He was a little pathetic and that was, uh, that was a little overplayed. Like that scene where the statue gets knocked down the stairs and he's like, my statue, my statue. For instance, I, I, I feel like all the melodramatic buildup really paid off in the scene where Guan Yu first makes his appearance because it's like this race against time. The Martians are, are you know, destroying uh, Hong Kong and and the whole family's there and they're like, Father, you must finish, you must finish. And it's like this nick of time, like the Martian shows up and is just about to stamp on them, you know. And so, um, and I think we've been building up to that. It's a very... You know, it's a very melodramatic 
comic bookish sort of thing, but I think it really works, you know, especially if you just take the movie for what it is and, you know, sort of let it speak to the 10 year old in you. It can be quite satisfying. So I don't, you have to keep in mind that I just published a book where I reviewed 70 Bollywood movies. So, that, and that's a lot of hand wringing melodrama. So I'm, I'm pretty inured to that at this point. <laughs> Oh, by the way, le- le- minor aside, I haven't started the book yet, all right? So I don't know, are these 70s Bollywood movies also very long? Uh, very very short question for you. Yes, uh, they're on average two and a half to three hours long. Seven, 70 of them as well, wow. You don't have to watch them all, though. Oh, I'm making it my mission. <laughs> yeah, well, the book will give you a chance to make an educated selection if you do decide to. To watch uh, but anyway, uh, I I actually agree. This it's not necessarily affecting, but it's not the worst like pulled off drama. It's actually kind of sad to uh, see this uh, like this relationship with his dead wife that he has in his mind, and he has his picture, and he has to do it for her. So it's even though we know what's coming because this is not our first viewing, you know, we know the good stuff will come even even if we had disliked this section. But it is competent enough i've seen worse like worse high-pitched just lazy melodrama even in these uh, high-profile bridget lynn movies that some of them were good most of them were disposable and you're right like when it reaches that fever pitch 40 minutes in where guan yu finally makes an appearance when he's when he's heard the begging for help or maybe when he's had enough they're like, Guan Yu, help us, help us. And they're about to get stepped on. It's very nick of time, you know. It's almost like, but it, it's a vague comparison I'm going to do to another Japanese movie. It's almost like the Japanese uh, Chambara Kaiju movie, Daima Jin. He comes out at the when things are really, really bad. And then finally the stone god comes to life and starts stomping on people in this case and not Martians. Daima Jin versus Martians. That would have been awesome. I was at, yeah, I was actually going to say this movie sort of suggests a place where the Daimajin movies could have gone if they kept making them. Because instead of fighting evil land barons and stuff like that, he would fight other, you know, monsters, which would, would have been cool. I love those movies. Indeed. One of my favorites. All, all three of them are actually uh, quite strong in their own uh, in their own way. As a movie, though, Big Calamity, uh, the beats leading up to all of this are very much fun because we see uh, changes in weather conditions and gravity conditions which is awesome yes. like all of a sudden gravity starts working we see the paper boy on his route throwing throwing papers into obviously the ground apartments but all of a sudden the paper goes up to the fourth floor yeah. instead <laughs> yes yeah gravity fails very selectively it'll just affect these bottles that keep falling down or like the 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 newspaper but you know it's kind of nice mystery beats because it's not just the crab gravity. All of a sudden, there's extreme heat, warm rain. Uh, one of the characters, I believe, our our youth character, our lost youth character, uh, to a biker gangs and marijuana. She swims in the pool, and the pool starts boiling and things like that. So I don't know. It might be stolen from somewhere else, but I like the idea of um, these beats in the movie as scripted, and also uh, cons- the, the special effects here are very basic but very. Like, you couldn't do it any other way. Like, if you want to race uh, someone who's on their bike into the air, rig up the bike on wires. That's You don't need Takano Koichi for this, necessarily. So I I like that it's a lead-up effects-wise to from one level to another lead level that the Japanese uh, were needed for. 
Yeah. Well, also they're very classic disaster movie beats. No, that's usually how every disaster movie is, is you'll cut to the, the leaking gas pipe or, you know, just like little things that suggest trouble is coming. That's also true in the in the Toho monster movies, especially the early ones. There's always um, some uh, mysterious natural phenomenon that occurs, you know, before the monster shows up. You know, there's like mysterious earthquakes or or landslides or something like that. I, I wanted to ask you another question, Ken, because I want to go back to the, the idea of all the melodrama in the movie. Which would you prefer? Would you prefer the melodrama, you know, the sort of melodramatic? All these movies always have to have a human-based plot. So would you prefer the melodramatic human subplot in this movie to the typical uh, human subplot in a Japanese monster film, which would usually involve a kid in really tiny shorts and <laughs> and and maybe a somewhat inappropriate seeming relationship with an older guardian or role, you know, the toy maker or the goofy inventor. It's like, you know, I, I like those two, but it's like, you know. I, I, I know exactly what you mean. And in the Japanese movies, it's, uh, it's never, it never struck me as anything well uh, immersed into the main plot always uh, it, it's uh, and and how can i say yes when you say like well, do you prefer a movie with a kid in tight shorts like well, uh, well no, no yeah i didn't put it that way, yes. <laughs> just kidding i'm just kidding but you know it is smoother and more smoother media because it doesn't feel as um, i don't know it feels more competent in those japanese movies some of it felt like it plays too to a younger audience and is more force, like forcefully made and more, I don't know, more jolly. Uh, I, so here it's more serious or throughout, really. Well, also, there's obviously, you know, this movie has an overarching moral standpoint or, I don't, or ethical standpoint as far as, you know, the issues of faith and progress and all that. So all of that drama is sort of illustrating that alongside the, Monster action, which is sort of that conflict writ large, you know. You know, I can't defend it too. I mean, I'm coming across as defending the drama maybe a little too much because it is. If you're not a fan of uh, hand wringing melodrama, you probably won't like a good third to one half of this movie. But at 35 minutes, uh, poor Lee Yu, the female character, flashbacks to being chased by the giant marshes because she's been abducted. <laughs> and they're, they're like chasing her, like, uh, some, where she's kind of a, I don't know, uh, cattle or like some animal that they can chase. Uh, it's a wonderful switch to even that sequence that is obviously uh, a bit of a special effects sequence with match shots and what have you. Seeing that in the movie and seeing the dialogue, they have dialogue, the Martians, they speak, is just a switch that makes you go right on. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it does appeal to the 10-year-old in you because they're not trying to sort of make it a seriously scary alien movie here because as you alluded to earlier in the discussion, the, de the design of the Martians are very, probably a design that's been seen in various movies globally. It's not the unique Taiwanese design of the Martians and they're, they're about to stomp on a tiny human. It's probably the most stereotypical or cliched visualization of a martian as like you know the bug-eyed monster with big head and a little little body you know it's something you've seen on the cover of countless like old fantastic magazine covers and stuff like that 
it's pretty much the classic and the antennas are there all the all the hallmarks and even the filtered speech which sounds like it's playing underwater i can't really replicate right. it well, here. Well, 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 yeah exactly yeah. and they speak mandarin of course but they're martian so yes, they can they, they can adapt they can adapt but i you know the switch into that is quite marvelous it gets me into mood and chen hung min clearly also or someone is not afraid to echo a 50s and 60s sci-fi era because the spaceship is a flying saucer on strings going around Hong Kong like... Yep. And they're proud of that. They're proud of doing it that way. And I think that's so endearing, actually. So mm-hmm. it's the focus is not necessarily recreate every crap from Plan 9 from outer space. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. there is like fly, like flying saucers on strings. And they're, they're going for it uh, in that way before they are let down uh, in giant form and uh, beginning to smash things up. And I, I think that's rather sincere and well placed i would say like uh, the the tone is just right yeah i agree they get points for original for originality for having a giant guang yu so they don't have to knock themselves out on coming up with some unique conception of you know alien life forms i, I thought that yeah i agree with you i thought it was very charming actually uh, by the way, I'm very immature, so I'm going to mention one thing that I almost <laughs> forgot. At one point, if I remember correctly, the uh, not only the gravity is uh, like uh, lost on Earth and it uh, does not apply anymore, I think a- airplanes start going in reverse and people start going in reverse. Time itself is out of joint. I would have loved to see a scene, but I saw it in my head, of someone sitting on the toilet and his or her poo going into their body again. <laughs> And if it, if it was a Japanese movie, the gra- the gravity would just affect schoolgirls' panties, basically. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I also thought it was funny that even though time was going backwards, uh, the people seemed to be aware of it. Like you know, a guy on his bicycle would start going backwards, and you hear him on the center going "Hey," <laughs> you know, because I think if time was going backwards, it would probably just you'd be your thought process would be going backwards too, but. Not in this case. Well, at least I'm not the guy who's on the toilet getting poo into his body. You know, at least I'm on my bike. Right. Watch, yeah. Watch this now become the accepted as something that's actually in the movie. You know, someone's, oh, that's the movie where the poo goes back up in the guy's butt. And I love their little, um, when speaking of the flying saucers again, I love their little uh, speedy beam up tour because they, they take ducks and uh, stuff from rice fields and cows and what have you. They just like, uh, they just go for it. Like they, they'll, they'll beam up anything they come across. Now that this movie has established all of this, I think it's, it never stops being fun. I can't remember any lapses in pace. And fun. They they have the melodrama sort of at the core, but they never stop the movie for twenty minutes for a sad section again. You know, by now it adheres to maybe a Godzilla structure in a way because we get uh, scientists uh, meeting and talking, and then then the chaos as the movie promises, you know, hits us. And uh, oh, by the way, uh, sorry for jumping all over the place. I love, by the way, that the Martian designs. Uh, the design of the Martians, they have teeth as well, threatening teeth. That, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Very sharp teeth. For no reason whatsoever. And, and then the lower body looks like the Michelin Man body, so that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the design of them. But they, they absolutely look for the purpose, and the purpose is to have them smash into buildings, being near fire and gunpowder, as we talked of in the background. And I don't know if the stunt people 
had any vision of what they were doing in there and if the how many suits were caught on fire but for the purpose man that design and once the pyrotechnics and action get going it's just right it's non-stop yeah and i like the bits you said you know the scientists have to do their bit and of course because of the message of the movie uh we have to see science try and fail which is always a big part of these movies you know it's like they have the you know, the X weapon or whatever that's supposed to kill the monsters. And they have these ray guns. And I don't know, the, all the space scientists get together and fire at the uh, at the Martians with their ray guns. Just they run out on the street and they line up and <laughs> shoot them with the ray guns. It's very Ultraman. It reminds me of the Science Patrol big time. And, of course, it has no effect. Our ray guns, they have no effect. And so that's the point at which science has to step aside and let Guan Yu handle the problem. Yeah, and handle the uh, like uh, the Martians uh, marching like confidently and cocky down the street and fuck <laughs> yeah, yes. we're gonna destroy yeah. face life. If there would have been a high five between the Martians, I wouldn't have been surprised because they kind of had that strut and pose and like fuck shit up, yeah, bro. Have you ever seen? Did you ever see uh, These Are the Damned? There's a song. It's a British movie, but oh yeah, I've like, seen that. Yeah, yeah. A gang of of leather wearing toughs led by Oliver Reed, and they have the song "Black Leather, Black Leather, Rock, Rock, Rock." I, I felt like that could have played while the uh, while the Martians were laying waste to Hong Kong. Yeah, we'll we'll do that in the Taiwan Noir re-edit of the film. That will that will include the scene where Pooh goes into someone's body. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're gonna do a reboot. I agree. I mean, the last third of this movie is pretty much solid destruction and solid, you know, giant monster action. And that's what makes this definitely the closest thing that Taiwan did to kaiju film in the Toho mode, because that is sort of its reason for being at the end of the day, is all those buildings getting smashed and stuff. And it could have been repetitive, you know what I mean? Because they kind of, they lean on the fact that they have this battle arena amid skyscrapers and there there will be a lot of uh, explosions of the respective buildings while Guan Yu fights the Martians. But I gotta tell you, it's still very impressive each and every time either someone gets knocked into a building that then sets off pyrotechnics and real fire and uh, or if they just do it uh, uh, before Guan Yu comes, they, they are on a destruction tour as well. And it looks very impressive like the film speeds are there this great film speeds and the mix of elements such as like humans in the foreground which is obviously a composite shot even mini cars uh, getting stomped on stuff like that it looks it might not be elite level but it's not terribly far off from japan it's not a terrible xerox of japan like a ninth generation xerox which is what is Truly impressive to me. Um. Actually, I did one major difference of this movie from a Toho film is how much they show, and I think this is because it also follows the model of a disaster film, is how much they show the collateral damage of the people. You know, when they have a lot of shots when a building is getting knocked over, they show the people inside the building, like, being you know, dying, basically, which you don't see in a lot of those Toho movies. And they really, I mean, the only Japanese kaiju movie I remember is that last uh, Gamera movie, the 
whatever it was, uh, Gamma Iris. versus Iris. Yeah, yeah it's in that scene in Shibuya where they're just trashing the city and you see all these people being crushed and trapped in the rubble. And they do a lot of that in this movie. And it, it, it definitely, even though it's, you know, it's silly and it's like miniatures and everything, it adds some gravity to it to say, you know, there's people in these buildings, you know, <laughs> even though they're obviously hollow when they, when they crush through them, but that, that really sets it apart. And I think that's, partly the the uh, disaster movie influence because there's always a bunch of uh, a lot of schadenfreude in, involved in american disaster movies where they're always kind of smugly moralistic people make bad decisions and then you watch them get swallowed by the earth for it <laughs> or whatever it's good context because you it's great that to bring in various like context within the disaster movie genre globally and put this into context so it's a worthwhile note but being taiwan they put in a strength here that is their own because there is some martial arts action here between the martians and guan yu because guan yu carries the blade the guando and uh, he's going to use that. The Martians have, I don't know if they, if they could shoot out of their particular weapons or not, or if they just use them as, uh, you know, baseball bat smash, smashing stuff or not. <laughs> they, they're sort of tridents. They, they have uh, points on them, but yeah, they mainly just use them as cudgels, you know, to knock things over. Having said that with martial arts action, it's a bit more clunky, possibly by design, because you, you can think that the nature of the costumes it means no fancy choreography like a Lao Galung, uh, Ping movie or any mad Taiwanese movie of the time. But it is like their little feather in the cap that there is some decent, you know, weapons uh, choreography here, kind of Peking Opera style because Guan Yu, as depicted, has very distinct Peking Opera style moves here. It's uh, yes. it's that kind of ballet and choreography. It's well put together because we also, it's all followed by the camera capturing these quite uh, vast uh, sets. You know, there is room for camera moves rather than one static shot and you can't like move the camera because the set ends as soon as you move the camera. There is an arena here that they built, these mini sets. Uh, it's well captured regardless if it's, again, the pyro and the destruction or the limited martial arts choreography that's pre pre uh, present here. Yeah, you're right to say an arena because that's, that's kind of what ends up happening. They destroy all these buildings and then they end up with this nice open area to have the the big battle in, you know. In Ultraman, they just go out to some abandoned, you know, oil field or something, so they didn't have to build too many models. But this, they didn't skimp, but they did have to clear out that area for the... Especially since Guang Yu does all the fancy moves with his staff, you know, he's like twirling it around and all that, so they need a lot of room, because... <laughs> Otherwise, he'd be knocking over buildings left and right. And and by the way, kind of a final note on the pyrotechnics and the fire. When it looks the most dangerous to me, to me is when one of the Martians fall down onto something, and then something is set off underneath yes. the stunt person. That looks dangerous to me and impressive yes. looking. It's not these this little poof fire, but it looks like it spreads. They're big. It looks like someone probably got hurt. Yeah, and it, it actually is documented that uh, it's, uh, it was not uncommon, but like the proof is in the cinema. It looks damn impressive and fun and not like 
shaky and wobbly and uh, ropey as uh, depicted technically here, which is again the very great reason to kind of put it put a cap on my notes. I think why it feels like they lived up to a concept of General Guan Yu versus Martians from space. Well, Martians are pretty full from space, but no wonder people doubted people wanting to engage in this production because we can't. Are you kidding me? We can't, like, we'll hire a guy from Japan, but still, we can't, can we do this, really? It's, like, out of, out of our league, we're, we're, we like melodramas, goddammit, but, you know, whatever, whoever, <laughs> yeah. like, were negative against the, uh, or doubtful against the production, the proof is here. The only thing I don't know is if, if it was successful or not, um, we never really found that out. I hope, anyway, uh, I hope, anyway, there was some attendance, uh, Midsummer and all, it was a Midsummer release. It seems like the kind of movie that, were it successful, it would very loudly beg for a sequel, though. I would think if this film did well, well, maybe it was too expensive. You know, it is that, I mean, even a guy like Jackie Chan, if he produced a way too expensive movie, it may have earned a lot, but a lot had to be earned back. Like, uh, Operation Condor, for instance, was a super expensive movie, and there was no chance that was going to earn its money back on in the box office alone. So maybe this was uh, doomed to fail, but they, they pushed forward anyway, and um, and they, there you are. But uh, I, I think it's mighty impressive and mighty fun, and again, it lives up to the concept. And if you, had, if you had doubts, people, that Taiwanese cinema actually could pull this off if you had seen like evidence of it in these Captain Pace movies and a sequence or two in these otherwise boring ass movies like like we talked <laughs> about. This is the one that is very complete. It's uh it has elements that works fairly well together. The these very on the nose themes of course, like as we said, science versus God. You know, you're a dumbass if you believe in science, essentially, you know, in this in this movie. So uh Yeah. It's highly recommended, and it's out there, people. Not in officially, but you can get it. I mean, people have even put up the same print on YouTube if you uh, for for this movie. So, for once, we're talking of rarity that is widespread and is easily accessible. And we would all love to buy it officially if it came out in some shape or form, preferably in in widescreen and uh, and subtitled. I'll echo that. I'd highly recommend this. I know there's a lot of people out there interested in these Taiwanese uh, kaiju movies because ever since uh, Tars Tarkas and I did the podcast and everything, I've written about it on the blog. That It gets a lot of response from people, and they're always asking, where can I see these films? And I would say of all the films, you know, if you, this is the purest. I mean, it, rather than just having... You know, a scene or two with some, you know, rubber suit monsters. This is this is pure kaiju in the Toho tradition. So if that's what you're into, I, I think it's pretty much guaranteed you'll dig this movie. It's pretty cool. And before the availability, let me do a quick aside and just ask uh, the funky Bollywood expert again: Bollywood, <laughs> and, Bollywood, and kaiju. Did that ever did that ever happen in the seventies, for instance? Not in the seventies so much, but there's in the fifties and sixties the B cinema in Hollywood was really booming, or what they'd call stunt cinema. And they did a lot of their own versions of like the Italian peplum movies, which were very popular in Italy. So they did their own versions of Samson and Hercules and all that. And a lot of those movies have um, guys in rubber suit, you know, monsters, dinosaurs. There's a movie called 
from the 60s called Shikari, which is sort of a cross between King Kong and Dr. Cyclops. It's about an expedition into the jungle. And there's a whole bunch of rubber suit monsters in that. So, yeah, uh, there's de- there definitely is Bollywood kaiju. Not so much in the 70s, because the emphasis really was more on drama and social uh, social uh, dramas action but in the 60s big time there's a lot and i've written about a lot of those movies on uh, on my blog so okay as for availability we're just going to sum it up we've mentioned it in bits and pieces here and there so it's hard to own the uh, official vhs that came out from cafe home video i'm not sure if that originated in hong kong or taiwan but that print or that transfer is available on uh, torrent sites and uh, it's available on full in uh, in full on YouTube. Uh, it's a partial widescreen print. This was shot in the 2.35 aspect ratio. Uh, it's cropped to one about, to about 1.85. So it looks good and you can still see most of the subtitles because these prints are obviously had the subtitles on it and wh- whatever cropping happened that affected the subtitles. So it, there's not a whole lot of instances where sentences are like really uh, taken down to just a few words. So every now and again, but uh, you don't feel this effective viewing. You get the plot through the visuals and the subtitles, and even like the action seems uh, well framed on this uh, partial widescreen copy. So it's I'm glad that it was partial widescreen because that was not a guarantee on video at all from anyone at that time. Like you, you would expect these. 235 movies to be cropped to 1.33 and be unwatchable if you wanted to follow the fucking story. <laughs> Ken, what, uh, for people who just want to search this out on Google, do you, what name do you think it's most likely to be found under? Because I find, tend to find it listed as War God more than I see it listed as Calamity or Big Calamity. Uh, on YouTube, at least, it was uploaded as War God. And uh, the the reason I'm going with the Big Calamity, as I said earlier in the show, is that the Hong Kong movie database have, have identified it as that, which might be the Hong Kong title, but the Taiwan title officially might have been War God. It, the, the, the why it's so hard to nail down is that there's no posters that i've seen that had both chinese and english title on it so uh, uh because because the big poster we've seen with the big letters and one you yeah. like, <laughs> there's only yeah. chinese on that one rather than uh, a little bit of english so um right but uh, i will actually we don't encourage this of course but seeing as this isn't available i will link to the youtube upload so you, if you want to find it uh, it will be in the show post because uh, here's a movie that we all want to get officially, but can't at the moment, so we have to settle for unofficial sources, and I, I have no problem endorsing that. Uh, but pray, uh, cross your fingers that this has durable and workable print somewhere in Taiwan, and that someone releases it sometime. Yes. But because I gotta tell you, Todd, uh, when they released some of these melodramas on DVD, even though they were from actual cinema prints still, uh, some of these mm. Bridget Lynn movies with burned-in subtitles, the prints looked astonishing so i would love to see an original cinema print in that quality i don't require optional subtitles so yeah and 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 the translation is actually quite good and maybe a new translation in taiwan would not be up to par so i would rather that they kept this translation that they have it's not full filled with 
crappy arrows or anything. Uh, so uh, there you are. We are done with Big Calamity next time and hopefully next week. We, we're kind of aiming to provide you with uh, two shorter Taiwan wars in a row, hence only one movie in this episode. So um, we go with uh, actual actually Todd's pick. I don't know if you remember that you actually suggested this, but uh, you did and I made a no. Yeah, take credit for it now, motherfucker. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but what he suggested was a 1969 movie going by the title uh, Feng Shen Bang. There's no other English title for it. And it's one of a fair few movie adaptations of the origin story and adventures of the Chinese protection god Nesha or Na Cha. And we talk of his battles with dragons on his fire, wind fire wheels and other content uh, amidst the other adaptations next episode. This is another movie that does not skimp on the... It's no war god, but it definitely has its share of uh, kaiju action in it as well. It's a very fun special effects filled film. A romp, if you will. Mm-hmm. And like from uh, Thai, early Taiwanese cinema experimentation with this uh, extensive amount of uh, special effects, which uh, makes it uh, interesting to look at. And it's actually... Uh, we, we want tell it all now but it's not embarrassing at all it's actually for a production of that of that time pretty well mounted yes yes i agree it's a handsome production uh so we'll leave it at that and uh let's uh, sign off properly with some brief contact information again and this has been taiwan war on the podcast on fire network we are on podcast on fire.com as long uh, as well as bonus episodes uh, from uh, or various shows on the network. Uh, if you have any questions uh, or feedback, uh, please send to podcastonfire at googlemail.com. And if you want to join us on Facebook, ask questions, follow feedback, and what have you, we have our page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. The discussion group is called Podcast on Fire Network, so that's how you'll find it if you search for it. Our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire, so we're at that social media as well i write about taiwanese movies including this one hong kong movies and ninja movies from godfrey ho those wacky ninja movies and uh, various uh, other adult movies and genres from hong kong and taiwan at sogoodreviews.com and i put up small spoken audio vi- set to clips from the movies i review uh, kind of video reviews per definition at sleazykvideo.com and my twitter handle is at sogoodreviews we are available on iTunes, Taiwan War, and uh, rate and subscribe. The rating, you just have to click the little star to leave a rating. I would very much appreciate that. But if you have the time, please leave a sentence or two to let us know what you thought of this show and uh, any other show on the network. And uh, finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio if you don't have space on your device to download podcasts. Uh, they have a site where you can stream us, but uh, they also have applications on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And finally on my end, uh, we mentioned Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, the blog with a bunch of Taiwan movie, black movies posts, as I call them, where Jesus Perez Molina identifies some of the source movies present in the various IFD and Filmark ninja action movies. And some of the movies are quite important genre classics, so they are in need of being identified. So uh, there we are. You have the floor, my friend, to plug whatever you like. So, go <laughs> you have you have a lot, as, uh, as, as, as do I. So deep breath, buddy. got to take a deep breath. Uh... Between the hours of 2 and 5 in the morning, I can be found on the corners of Treat and 22nd Street. Um, other than that, <laughs> I, 
<laughs> on that, I write about uh, offbeat world genre cinema on my blog, Die Danger, Die Die Kill. That's Die Danger, Die Die Kill. Dot blogspot. Dot com. I've got something up there currently about a uh, Cambodian uh, Krasu movie, which is. Uh, you know, you know what I'm talking floating about. Floating head movie, essentially. Yeah, floating, he- fl- floating head and guts movie. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then of course, please check out my book, Funky Bollywood, av- available wherever fine books are sold. Check- also, the Infernal Brains are back. We just did a new uh, podcast, uh, which you can find at tarstarkus.net. And uh, my and check out my internet radio show pop offensive which for the months of may and june at the very least is going to be uh on twice a month so we're going to be doubling up on episodes and you can uh listen to the back catalog of episodes by going to the archive at ninthfloorradio.com that's numeral nine th floorradio.com and that's all i got <laughs> believe it oh, or not are you sure like is that your <laughs> final answer i don't know do i have anything else we'll have to do another like a supplement to the to the podcast if i think of more stuff oh and also there's oh, also, but, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm good all right all those links will be available in the show post so uh, thank you very much for uh i was about to say enduring but i hope you enjoyed listeners this uh deep dive into the big calamity or the big Taiwan Tokusatsu disaster movie from 1976. And I hope you seek it out. We highly enjoyed talking of it. And I hope you uh, seek it out. And let us know what you thought about Guan Yu versus Marshes. Because you're a robot if you don't think that concept rocks. In con- <laughs> like, in, like in concept. Like who doesn't like that? You, you Film snobs may, may not like it. But uh, that's their opinion and that's fine but anyway my name is kennedy and uh, i've been kennedy rather and with it was todd so say bye buddy thanks everybody see you next time